this is Georgina Terry. Welcome to another edition of Tea Chatter. Well, yesterday was a rest day at the Tour de France, and I've often wondered why their definition of rest is so different than our definition of rest, that is, as cyclists. So I thought I'd search out Kim Fazeski and talk to her about this. Kim is a USA Cycling Level 1 coach, a nutritionist, and she's also manager of the Vantaggio Specialized Pro Women's Mountain Bike Team. We had a great conversation about what the pros do with respect to rest, recovery, and nutrition, and how what they do can apply to us and make us better cyclists as well. I hope you enjoy this. Hi, Kim. Thanks so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. You know, uh, yesterday was one of the rest days in the Tour de France, and it always amazes me how those guys interpret a rest day. To them, it's it's going for a little two-hour spin on the bike and then spending the rest of the day in bed. <laughs> and, I, you know, I always think to myself, why are they even on the bike? You know, what, what is that all about, Kim? Well, the thing is, their bodies are so used to riding for so long every day, especially when they're in the middle of a race like the Tour, that if they take a complete rest day off the bike, their bodies aren't going to know what to do. They're going to feel so horrible the next day that they have to get out there and actually just do a nice, to them, a nice little spin out of the legs. Now, for you and me, that two-hour ride is probably our typical ride of the day. Right. So, you know, that's, it, it's a whole lot different. It's, you know, their bodies are so conditioned uh, to, to just ride that, that they've got to do that. Yeah, it's like kind of keeping the oil moving and all that in the car, so to exactly. speak. Yeah, that's, that's a very good analogy. Can, can you actually tell me from a physiological standpoint what is going on in their bodies that, that, that shuts down and makes them feel so lousy the next day if they don't ride? Well, what happens is they're they're kind of at they're at this this point where their bodies are so used to doing that day after day after day, and they've by by racing that hard day after day they they've actually done a lot to break down their muscles and break down their bodies. And if they take a complete rest day, their body's going to go into um, almost this this repair mode where they're going to start to try and really recover and, and everything is going to be so uh, almost seized up and, and focused on that that it just takes them so long to get back into that, that working mode again. I can understand uh, that. So it's like... I, I think that's the easiest way to explain it. The, the repair uh, there's a lot mode. more. Yeah. So it's like if the repair mode starts, it becomes an energy sapper of sorts. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. You know, there's a lot more physiologically going on than that, but that's, I think, the easiest way to, to explain what's going on. How about in terms of their nutritional needs on a rest day? What happens oh. there? Is it still just get as many calories down as you can, or does anything different go on? Um, it really, that, that's a catch-up day for them as far as nutrition. Those guys are burning so many more calories than they're consuming that, um, yeah, they're just eating as much as they can the entire tour. And most of them will lose a significant amount of weight in that three-week time period, you know, regardless of how much they eat. So that, that rest day is all about just shoving as much food in as possible. Yeah, I know. If you look at one of those guys at the beginning of the tour in an interview and then you look at him at the end, they have changed remarkably in those three weeks. Oh, yeah, they have. And if you look at uh, a lot of the top riders, when they come into the tour, they come in what they refer to as heavy compared to their ideal race weight because they know that they're going to lose it. 
And if they come in at ideal race weight, they will be so underweight and therefore they'll be losing huge amounts of muscle mass and be underpowered by the end of the tour that they won't won't be able to perform and may not even be able to finish. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely amazing. You know, to think that you can do that with a human body, it's really it's really something. Now Yeah, it's it's not really good for your body. It's <laughs> Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, when you hear about somebody doing three grand tours in one year, that has to be almost debilitating, I would think. I mean, I, I yeah, I yeah, I can't imagine doing that. It's it's a testament to how strong the human mind is because the body shouldn't oh, be able to do it. That's true. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh more of a a typical kind of club cyclist, really active athlete, somebody who's interested in fitness, but certainly not on the level of a Tour de France rider. Mm-hmm. When, when okay. does recovery become an important thing for us? I mean, I just want to go out and ride my bicycle every single day that's nice. And no, I'm not going to stop riding, darn it. <laughs> so, but, but I know the recovery, some people have said that recovery is, is the hardest training you'll ever do, or certainly a rest day is. It is, and that's that's a really good way to look at it. Recovery, your body doesn't get stronger by training. Your body gets stronger by recovering from the training that you did. The training is the stimulus that tells your body, hey, I need to get stronger so I can do this. So this person, you know, it, this hurts. This is beating the crap out of me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react by getting stronger so the next time this person does this to me, I I can do it better. But if you don't ever let your body recover, all you're doing is digging a deeper and deeper hole. So the recovery is really the key. It is the most important part of, of your training. And that's it's a hard thing for most people to get their mind around because you're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to take recovery days. It's easy for me to go out there and quantify those intervals or that hard hill climbing ride or whatever it is, you know, it's it's easy to look at that on paper and look at it when you're done and say, okay, this is what I did for my training today. This is going to make me better at whatever it is I just trained. It's hard to look at that day that you took off the bike and you sat around, you know, and you put your feet up and say, okay, this is going to make me better at what? Right, <laughs> especially if it's a really, really nice day. Exactly. Those are the those are the hardest ones for recovery for me. So is it is it okay though? I mean, suppose it really is a nice day, and I just don't want to sit around and and not do anything. If I just go out and spin really, really easily for an hour or so, is that okay, or is that pushing it a little bit? It, you know, it, that's one of those things. It depends on the situation. Typically, yes, it is okay. Active recovery. Um, it is a good thing. And for some people, it actually helps more if you've had a particularly hard day or hard couple of days to go out and do that active recovery because it kind of gets the muscles moving and gets that lactic acid flushed out and that sort of thing. Um, but you need to make sure that it's actually active recovery. You know, it cracks me up when I when I talk to people and, oh, I went out for a three-hour active recovery ride today. But no, you didn't. That's not an active recovery. Active, active recovery is an hour-long top. Uh-huh. Anything more than that, and all you're doing is fatiguing your body. You're yeah. doing it at a very slow pace, but you're still fatiguing your body. <laughs> How about uh, nutritional needs? I mean, let's address that part of it when it comes to recovery. For the Tour de France riders, it's a—I I guess I would call it a pig-out kind of day. Yeah. <laughs> How about for for somebody who's just listening to this again and is a, just a very serious, active rider? I'm I'm a really, really big believer in 
a well-balanced diet of whole foods. Um, you know, that's honestly that is really the big thing that it, it's going to help you with your riding. It's going to help you with your recovery. It's going to help you with with everything in your life if you can just eat a well-balanced diet that's got lots of whole grains, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, those, those are the things that, that are going to make you perform well. Those are the things that are going to help you recover well. Um, you know, the fresh fruits and vegetables, lots of antioxidants, which really, really help with recovery. I, I mean, there's just there's so many wonderful things that you can say about those types of foods. It's, you know, it's not – everybody kind of looks for the magic pill when it comes to nutrition, and, and it really – it's not rocket science. It's just – common sense and all the things that your mom's been telling you since you were, you know, four years old. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you talk about the magic pill. How do you feel about the use of supplements? I mean, I know there's an awful lot of stuff out there. And... You know, if, if there was if there was one, again, magic pill, everybody would know about it and everybody would be using it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are there is a time and a place for supplements if, for whatever reason, there are things that you are missing in your diet, whether it's because of, you know, where you live in the time of year and fresh fruits and vegetables are difficult to come by or, you know, there's particular foods that you don't like that you know that you're missing something. I, I mean, I think there's definitely sometimes needs for supplements. I recommend that most people take a multivitamin just, in case you're missing things here and there day to day in your diet. But, um, again, a lot of times people really, really overdo it. And at that point, honestly, all you're doing is creating really expensive pee. Right. (laughs) You know, because your your body's not using it. You're not getting anything out of it. All you're doing is putting a lot of money into something that's just going to pass right through your system. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You know, I think I I would bet that a lot of what's going on with supplements is just psychological. Cause you get oh, the, yeah. It's like a placebo effect almost. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, especially the more you pay for it, the faster you're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if and if that's what works for you, then I guess good for you. But I, I think there's probably cheaper ways to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, kind of um, of getting back to the Tour de France a little bit, one of the things you were talking about, which was interesting, we were talking about calories and that kind of thing. Do you have any ideas just how many calories a day those riders consume? I, know, had, heard, I had heard that it was around 6,000. Is that possible? Oh, that's yeah, that's easily possible. Um, you know, they're burning. It, it, it's going to depend on, on the stage as far as how many they're burning, but mm-hmm. they're easily... Um, and I've, I've heard that number thrown out there, that that's about what they try to consume in a day. Um, you know, some stages, if it's a flat stage and it's it's a rider who's sitting in the middle of the pack, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, power files from those riders, and they sat in, and it was really a pretty darn easy ride for most of it. Uh, and then there's other stages where they're burning just ridiculous amounts of calories on you know, the climbing stages and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I mean, they easily, in in a stage, can burn upwards of 6,000 calories. Um, so, you know, consuming that much, I, they're pretty much eating as, as much as they can get in and, you know, as calorically dense of food as they can find. When you talk about, um, you know, looking at the power that they're using, you're you're talking about the number of watts usually, and that's coming off of a power meter? Yeah. 
typically for just, I mean, you hear numbers thrown out all the time, but if we could put something in perspective, like like what might an average club cyclist be capable of in terms of power compared to uh, a professional rider? How does well, it, it's that's really a, it's a tough question because power is is based on a lot of different things, including um, your weight. You know, the more you weigh, the more power it takes to get you down the road at the mm. same speed as someone else. So. You, know, you look at a rider in the tour who's 135, 140 pounds, and you know he's not putting out nearly the amount of power as you know a club rider who's a 200 pound rider. So yet he's going he's going a whole lot faster for that same mm-hmm. that same period of of time. So you know it, it's difficult. It's you know it's not one of those things where there's you know a concrete number. It's, okay, right. if you have this kind of power, you're a really really good rider. You know, it, right. it's very it's very subjective and has a lot of different variables out there. That's interesting. What? How do you feel about the role of stretching when it it comes to again, kind of one of the recovery kind of functions, I guess you might say, rest, nutrition, a light spin for those guys. What about stretching? Do they do much of that? Do you recommend that for your customers? I do. I recommend stretching after after a workout. Um, there have been a lot of studies in recent years about stretching before workouts and the fact that it it actually is, is not good for you, but after a workout is when... Why is it not good really, for you before? Well, what happens is your muscles are not warmed up yet, and so as you're stretching, you're actually putting all kinds of little micro tears in those muscles, uh. and then they don't perform as well as... <laughs> As if they would, if you warmed up first and then and then did the stretching. So, um, yes, afterwards stretching is is really really key to to help your muscles recover and cool down and uh, keep them pliable. So you have that flexibility. And and how do you feel, you know, about the the after ride recovery drink? And I think the the trend these days is what is it? Something like four carbs to one protein or something of that nature. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because if you talk to a lot of the people who did those initial studies, yeah. those, num- those numbers were just numbers that they kind of pulled out and said, let's try this and see how this works. <laughs> There's no scientific reason behind the four-to-one. Um, it seems to work. It seems interesting. to work well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, five-to-one or six-to-one or, or something like that wouldn't work better. Um, you know, typically what I tell people about recovery beverages is there's a 30-minute window after you're done working out where your body is going to store that glycogen a whole lot faster as it's trying to replace it. You need to get calories in your body in that 30 minutes, whether it's with a recovery drink, which is easy. You know it's got it's got some protein, it's got some carbs in it. It's it's going to work, or whether it's with you just finished your training ride and you finished at your house and you're going to sit down and have lunch right afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Eating a meal is going to do the exact same thing as that recovery beverage. You don't need to do both, but you need right. to do one or the other. Um, you know, I always yeah. wonder about, about that because I come back from a ride and, and I've got this kind of pre-mixed um, smoothie that I've made that meets all the requirements, and I think, well, if I'm drinking the smoothie and I'm eating, uh, you know, a plate of mm-hmm. spaghetti at the same time. What happened to the four to one ratio? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to do both. You really yeah. just, you know, your body at that point in that thirty minutes, especially, is just it just wants calories. You yeah. know, it wants it wants you to put something in it. So you know, what, 
Either That's one so works great. Right? Right. Just get something in. <laughs> um, there's been, uh, you know, cyclists always dread running into the situation of bonk where they don't they don't have enough nutrition while they're out riding, and then all of a yeah. sudden they they hit the road. There's a British cyclist by the name of Barry Hoban uh, who rode the Tour de France years ago, and and he had an interesting theory about bonk. Now I don't know if this was just uh, just kind of folklore going around uh, around pro cyclists at that time, but but his feeling was that bonk was a really good thing because he said once you ran out of fuel, your body would start to go after anything it could possibly use to keep going, and and that would include any bad stuff that might be in your system, and it really kind of purified your body by going through a bonk. <laughs> is, that, is that really folklore? Is there's some truth to that? It's an interesting theory, but your body doesn't really work that way. <laughs> Unfor- unfortunately, it, you know, it's, uh, I, I know. It would make so many of my rides so much more worthwhile. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it's it, it doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, what happens when you bonk is um, you basically you run out of glycogen stores, and so your body doesn't have any more fuel to burn, so to speak, of the, the fuel that it prefers. And so at that point it goes into burning um either your muscle glycogen or fat, depending. In, in a yeah, does it have a preference? Do, does it prefer one or the other, or will it go after fat before muscle glycogen or just anything um, it can get? It, it, it goes after anything it can get, usually the mu- muscle glycogen first. And the problem is that, that you, you, you burn fat when you're working out at a much lower intensity, and it uh-huh. takes a lot longer for your body to burn that fat. Uh-huh. So you can't really perform if that's all your body is. Yeah. Okay. And and so you're you're struggling. You're, um, you know, you're you're just you're out there dying at that point because that's all your body's got left to burn. Um, you know, the way that the body works, you're always using all your different energy systems, so you're always burning a little bit of it. And, you know, you hear about people going out and, and doing these rides where, okay, I'm not going to eat or drink anything. And oh, Lord. Long, I'm going to do these long, slow rides and, and, uh, and you know, my body train my body to burn fat. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, your body is still burning glycogen. And what happens is when you're done with that ride, your body is continuing, your, your metabolism is still ramped up and your body is continuing to... Um, to function at that point, that's when it starts burning your fat stores. So, you know, when people are trying to lose weight, um, you know, you still need to eat on your ride. You still need to take in those calories and fuel your body for the ride. It'll burn the fat stores at a later time to make up for what it's done, um, if that makes any sense. No, that that makes a lot of sense. One thing I found when I'm out on a ride is, um, you know, I, I always carry a, several goos with me and and an electrolyte drink with some carbs in it and all that stuff. And I found that, that when I consume one of those gels that has a little bit of caffeine in it, it, it really kind of wakes me up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is caffeine, uh, I mean, is, is there really some benefit to that, or do I just think that I'm getting a benefit from caffeine? No, there there definitely is a benefit to that. It's, it's the reason that caffeine for a long, long time was on um on the list of uh, uh, banned substances. It wasn't ah. banned, but it was controlled. You could yeah. only have so much of it. 
Uh, they've since removed it because the amount of caffeine that they had on that list would have been absolutely ridiculous to try and consume and then perform with. <laughs> so they, they finally have, have taken it off the list. But, uh, yeah, there is definitely a performance benefit with caffeine. Now, there's also some issues with that. If you're a person who drinks a whole lot of coffee all the time, you're yeah. not going to see that performance benefit because you have such a tolerance built up. Right, right. That, right. Um, that you don't see that. Uh, but, you know, there are definitely athletes out there that don't uh, don't use caffeine except for race day, and then on race day they'll, you know, they'll drink a couple cups of coffee, and you definitely will feel that boost. I think you always hear, used to hear stories about the end of the race. Um, guys would drink flat or diluted Coca-Cola. And, mm-hmm. you know, probably there, again, the combination of sugar and caffeine, if you just want a very short, quick burn oh, for yeah. a limited period yeah. of time. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, and and it works. I've I've been known uh, <laughs> to grab a flat Dr. Pepper at the end of a race just to try and get me through because yeah. you're exactly right. Sugar and caffeine will, uh, you know, it will give you that, that boost when you're you're really dying. That's kind of, you know, it's fun stuff to think about because it makes you think now if you're going out for a longer ride, how might you change what you're eating at different times in the ride to accomplish different goals? Maybe it shouldn't be the same thing for the full four or five hours. Maybe it should vary a little bit. So it's just, I like, love thinking about stuff like that and then trying to play with it while I'm on the ride just to see what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, and that's, a, you know, that's a wonderful time to do it. Um as opposed to trying to do it on race day, which is That's like, don't put new equipment on your bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't find out. You really didn't like those brake levers the day of the race. <laughs> exactly. Well, Kim, this has been great. I think it's it's really given some people some insights and stuff to think about. And, uh, you know, our thoughts will return to the riders in the Tour de France as they continue this week on their marvelous journey. Uh, it's a great time of year for all cyclists, I think even if you don't race in that level, just to watch it and see what the human body is capable of and and the wonderful machine that's the bicycle. It just makes it a great time of year. Oh, yes, definitely. I I agree. I love my favorite time of year right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, and hopefully we can talk at another time and, and cover some more topics of interest. Definitely. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks. 